Hello and welcome to the B2B Sales Playbook Podcast, brought to you by Lead Forensics. I am your host, Joe DeCaro. This episode is another from our new webinar series, Persuasion, How to Win Over Prospects. For this, I was joined by Nick Phillips, SDR leader for People Data Labs, and he offered up some great tips and tricks for persuading a prospect around to your product. This is a great chat. Nick was a wonderful guest, and he absolutely knows his superheroes. So he gets the best of both worlds, the B2B and the superheroes. So without further ado, here is Nick Phillips on how to win over prospects. Let's find out, Nick, then. Let me introduce the B2B supervillain we're going up against today. We are going up against the Commitment Kraken. Uh, The Commitment Kraken is a symbolic representation of a common challenge encountered in sales environments. It embodies the reluctance or hesitation that potential clients or customers often exhibit before making commitment to purchase a product or service. This creature's tentacles represent the various factors and objections that can entangle and delay the decision-making process. But fear not, because our webinar is here to equip you with techniques to charm the commitment kraken and lead you closer to closing that deal. So Nick, my first question to you as we step up to take on the commitment kraken then, what are the common signs that a potential client might be in the grip of the commitment kraken and hesitating to make a purchasing commitment? Yeah, you can definitely see the commitment kraken really in its its head or its tentacles at you when when they say that when the prospect says, "Hey, I need to speak to more people on my team," or um, you know, "Thank you for sending this information, but you know, I need to discuss this internally and I'll get back to you." To me, like those are kind of those the first tips that that they're um, getting stuck. So then, how would you? So we've we've been handed that that objection. What is it? What are the techniques? What sort of language are you using? What are the next questions that you bring to to handle that objection? Well, it kind of goes just a little bit before that. So for me, it's knowing knowing who should be on the call first of all. Like if you. Like usually these kind of like the commitment cracking comes after like the demo, right? It comes after you've already discussed your product and, you know, the pain points and they're, they're actually thinking about, yes, let's move on with the test or, or a purchase. Um, but where, where you, where you can get tripped at though, is if you don't have the right people on the call. So maybe you have the right salesperson, but you actually need a product person that's going to actually implement it. That's when you would ask those questions in your discovery, like, hey, who else should be on this next call before we kick this off? Um, because that kind of heads that question ahead of time where it's, they won't say, oh, I need to discuss with the, discuss this with other people on my team um, because you've already kind of answered that ahead of time. So I think preparing ahead of time to know who you're talking to and make sure we have all of the right people in the same room, preferably even during the discovery. So that way you're not wasting time with multiple meetings. Yeah, absolutely. So you're you're disqualifying them right from the get go, aren't you? This is something that comes up time and again on the on the B two B superpowers webinar is that very thing. You've got to make sure you're engaging the decision maker. Indeed, we've had several conversations and several podcasts as well. If you'd like to go and find those, the Essential B two B or the B two B Sales Playbook podcast, we have a lot of discussions on exactly that thing. You know, getting past the gate, but then making sure that you have the right people in the room on the call at the time with you. Um. So then let's let's assume then, Nick, that you've you've got the right person in the room, you know, they've you've gotten past, you've gotten around the way of, of saying, you know, oh, uh, I need to speak to, to higher people. Let's say we, we're speaking directly to the to the decision maker. What are the other behaviors? What are the other signals 
that they give off that might show that actually they're not they're not ready to commit just yet. Some of the signals that they'll they'll give out would be if if you well as a seller if you don't know what their pain points are or if they haven't articulated that yet then you haven't proven any kind of ROI. You're just kind of going through with your agenda. So this is where you need that Professor X type knowledge to be able to jump in there and find out, hey, I, I'm not going to assume I know what the problem is. Why don't you tell me? It's getting the customer to, to tell why they're taking this call, what problems they're facing. And and then you can flip around and say, hey, this is how we can solve that. So I think that's, that's definitely one way to... Um, to push that uh, objection aside. So that I mean, I, I very much appreciate Nick that you've you have committed to the to the superpower element of our webinar. Uh, Mike Manzi is another one who uh, who brought up Professor X as well. So you're in good company. Um, it would be great, wouldn't it, if you could like Professor X, just read their minds, and then you don't have to do that. But you just go right. Well, I know that this is a problem for you, so here's how our, our solution helps that. <laughs> you know? Because then, because then you're like juggernaut, and you're just going through. And, and knocking them down with your sales knowledge instead of actually finding out. <laughs> fantastic. So I feel like we're playing like sales B2B superhero top trumps at the minute. So that's that's fantastic. Well, now I'm, now I'm going with the analogies because I am a, a big fan of Marvel and stuff. So now I'm just going to keep throwing out names for you. <laughs> that's fantastic. No, yeah, you're very welcome to. That's that's amazing. Um, so the, let's let's just take it back a, a step then. How? How effective can uh, I'm going to start that question again? Um, how important then is building rapport with the person that you're on the call with then to get them on site? Because obviously, you know, part of the the commitment cracking superpower is the fact that it's, it sows these seeds of doubt um, in our in our uh, prospects' mind. How can you how can you build rapport? How can you use storytelling just to sort of help you know bring you a bit closer together to help you make that extra step forward? Yeah, I mean, building rapport is is key because if they can't trust you, if they think that you're just a salesman that just wants to close a deal as fast as you can, they're going to see through that. That's where you you do kind of need to have that kind of Emma Frost, white wedge type, be able to uh, influence them, and, but be real, be real with them. Show like that you care about the product, that you care about it, a solution to their pain point rather than you're just trying to close this deal before Q3 is over so you can move on to the next. <laughs> but, but building the rapport is important. They have to be able to trust you and you have to be your authentic self, not your, not having your salesman's hat on all the time, but be your true self. And that, that's, that building that rapport also carries through with them as being uh, long-term customers too. I mean, what you've masterfully done, Nick, is actually you've brought up a, a superhero I know very little about. You know, Emma Frost, White Witch. That one went slightly over my head, I'm afraid. But <laughs> but no less, it, it was a fantastic answer to, to my question, that one. Um, what are the other objections that are raised by clients that who, who aren't, you know, who aren't showing they're ready to commit just yet? Because we, we spoke about one earlier, at the very, very start of our conversation about saying, oh, I need to speak to higher up. What are some other objections that you've come across? Uh, well, and then time, that's always a big one too. Like right now, this isn't the best time. Um, you know, why don't you contact me in six months? Like that's a big, uh, time is a big objection. And I suppose there's not, is, is there, what else, what can you do about that one? Is there anything that you can do other than say, well, you know, let's touch base in 
in a certain amount of time. Perhaps it's it's a case of just going, okay, now's not the right time. I completely understand that. Let's meet up again on such and such a date and we'll have another conversation. Would that be an effective way to handle that objection? It, it is. And then, but there's, there is some better ways to do that. Because if you, if you say, if you just close the door and say, absolutely agree, I'll reach out to you in six months. And then you can, you can put that reminder in um, and you could nurture that up until six months, let's say, and then, um, and then book the meeting and move from there. But kind of a better way or a way that I would use is, well, what's, what's going to be different now? And, and at the end of six months, like what, what's the difference now? And would, what's the cost to you if you don't do anything now? If you, if we're looking at ROI, like how much is this going to cost you in the end, at the end of six months, rather than just jumping in right now and pushing forward? A hundred percent. No, actually, as you said that, I, I remembered something that I, I saw a little while ago. There was a, a, a video of this guy who was on a, on a call and he was saying, you know, you know, you're saying that time is the issue here, but actually you don't need time to make a decision. You actually need information. So what information do you not currently have that I can give you that will help you come to a, to a decision? Is that something that you could use at all, do you think? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a tenacity, excuse me, it's that tenacity to move forward instead of just taking it at face value and just being kind of an order taker. It's that being creative and finding the urgency, like explaining, you know, explaining that urgency to the, the customer rather than just, just waiting for them to come back in six months. Let's, it's something you mentioned just then. You, you mentioned, you know, creating a, a sense of urgency. There's also the creating a sense of, of missing out. Is that, what are the, the tactics that you could, you could leverage to make them feel like, oh, we've, we really need to do this? Like, what is that, that fear of missing out? How do, you, how do you leverage that particular feed? Yeah, like that, that FOMO is important because you want that, that urgency. You want them to feel like, wow, if I don't do this now, it's going to cost me so much at the end of six months. It's building that use case to where your product fits their, is a solution to the pain point that they're seeing right now. Um, if they don't see that, then maybe your discovery is a little off. Um, it, it's in your discovery. If you're approaching a company and you're like, I know that this, this solution will, will, um, just jump out to them. It might not because you could be totally wrong and they might already have a solution to that problem. But it, in that discovery, when you find out what their true, pain points are then you can address like hey if if we if we don't do anything in six months you're going to have the same problem reincorporate mm. months this isn't a sunken cost this isn't a, what is that opportunity cost for you to not do anything and then just kind of leveraging that for them and then like to your point like building that fomo and that sense of urgency uh, for them to move forward because if it could be something simple like they just need more information they need to know a case study before they move forward with implementation. So something simple like that could get you that meeting sooner than six months. And then how was, how would you go about, um, have you had much success leveraging customer testimonials, social proof, G2 badges, things like that? How does advocacy help to build a case to, uh, to help convince someone? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's showing that, hey, we've worked with people in your industry and we've been successful. We've helped them be successful. This is how we did it. This is um, the other thing too, is that maybe they, maybe you have a specific use case for them, 
but they actually could use something else. And that's the nice thing about those case studies is that there's multiple use cases and that if anything, it could deepen your relationship with the customer, but it also gives validity and credity, credibility mm. to your product. A hundred percent. We've actually, uh, we're, we're looking at some G2 um, badges that are coming out at the minute. And, you know, G2 badges is something that we've always done particularly well with, with Leap Forensics, something we're very, very proud of. So I'm sure that, that people working for Leap Forensics watching this absolutely lean on uh, on those those uh, advocacy pieces. Um, you mentioned earlier as well, uh, demonstrating a clear return on investment. What are some effective methods for demonstrating that when you're talking to a prospective client? Well, and then again, that goes into the discovery, finding out, you know, what that pain point is, how you can leverage your tool to bring about that ROI. If you have a sense of, you know, actual numbers, that's always a huge thing. Like if you know that their product costs this, and for instance, if you're a company that sells subscriptions by seats, then maybe you can say, hey, our product, you can increase the amount of subscriptions to companies by doing this. And then you can actually calculate the ROI. So instead of saying the average company that you're after has five people that are signing up for your service, but we can help you get 10 people, then you can calculate that ROI and then be able to set, submit the, that kind of information so that their CFO can look at that and be like, oh, well, we're going to make this much more money. Like the ROI, it looks good on this. Um, yes, approve and, and buy your product. So another thing, so something I do want to ask you about, and it might be slight, a slight, slightly controversial, uh, controversial topic to, to, to broach, but... Let's say you're talking to somebody who you're trying to convince they're sort of, you know, I'm an owner, they're not making a decision. Is there ever any appropriate use for offering discount at this point? Or is that something that we wouldn't necessarily offer to a new customer? What, what are your thoughts on that one? Um, I mean, I mean, discounts are just a tool, right, to help close the deal. Um, you know, I, I typically don't do that that early on. Um, I try to build that champion, get somebody excited about the product so that they can talk about it positively internally and then bring on those CFOs, CEOs. And then when it comes down to um, pricing, just find out if there is if there is any pushback on it. Like if there, if you're way out of the ballpark where, you know, your your product is a six figure commitment and they're only in for a five figure, like that's a huge thing. But um, if you if you build the value and you build that ROI, then usually you shouldn't have to use discounts as kind of that carrot to move it along. I like to use discounts as um, towards the end of the cycle. If there's, you know, if there's anything that we could kind of smooth the deal over that would maybe, be, um, hey, can you close this by the end of the quarter? Maybe instead of next quarter, we can do this kind of a discount. Sometimes that's good just to kind of get that urgency and then get that commitment early on rather than, um, right in the beginning where you're you're cutting the cost in the beginning and then you might have to do it again yeah you don't you don't want to go too early with it i suppose do you no absolutely not you well and it it can diminish the diminish the quality right or the perception of quality of your tool or your Mm. product if you're right off the bat cutting costs um you're basically saying hey we're giving you a cheap product now so some people are willing to pay full price because they fully believe that this is going to solve their solution, their, their problem. And, um, and they're just ready to write a check right there because they, they believe that that price, it needs quality. Yeah. 
Indeed, actually, I saw something on LinkedIn the other day, and it was a, it was a video of um, a chap who I followed for a while, and he was he was saying that he want you know he's been on a call in the early days, and and uh, the prospect was saying so. Um, is your product the cheapest on the market? Why you know why should I go with you? And he said, actually, we aren't the cheapest solution on the on on the market. However, we think that our solution is so much better than the others that we're we're absolutely worth that worth that investment. Yeah, and then to that point, um, you, you don't want to be the cheapest one, right? Because the other thing too is that there's it, in your mind you think quality and and quantity, or you know, you think quality products. And if you're right off the bat saying, "Hey, we're the cheapest out there," mm. why isn't everybody using you then? Like, like there's all these other things that, that come up into the um, prospect's mind. Like, well, if you're the cheapest, but you're not the leading, you're not the leader in your industry. Why not? Well, it's probably because there's a quality issue and that's why we can cut our costs. So that's, that's a, a road that you have to be really careful about um, pricing for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a delicate, delicate handling in that situation. I think you might say, um, Nick, I'm wondering, do you have any sort of stories or, or real world examples yourself of when you managed to uh, successfully convince somebody who's in the grips of the, the commitment cracking at all? Can you give us some, some insight on that one? Um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm trying to think back, uh, you know, I did have a customer, a prospect um, a little while ago where they did ask that question, hey, I need to speak to more people internally um, before we move on. And we had already done the demo. We'd already done a bunch of stuff. I realized that, hey, I, I kind of goofed up and didn't have the right people on the call. So I did uh, some pushback and followed up and said, hey, you know, I totally understand that. Um, who else needs to be on this call? And it was a product person that wasn't on the call that they actually needed to lean on for our specific product because we are a raw data provider. You need an engineer or somebody to be able to implement it. And so um, they they did an, an email introduction like, hey, this is the name of the person. I said, hey, great. Let's see if we can just have a quick 15 minute, maybe even half an hour short meeting uh, before we move on and loop, loop them in. And so what I was able to do is then uh, get the commitment from the product person and then my champion, and then was able to get one of my data consultants and solution engineers on the call. And then they were able to talk about the nuances of the product. And then from there, we were able to move forward on it. Absolutely. Excellent stuff. It's like you say, about having that that internal sales champion is a, is a very very powerful thing. My father actually sold um, software for uh, many many years, and he was saying that the number of times that they were looking at a deal, and it, they weren't sure if they were going to go one way or the other. But then in the meeting, somebody on the other side of the bench started speaking for them, uh, literally answering their questions. You know, the, the the company's questions with their internal sales champion, mm-hmm. and they were just like, we just sat back and like helped where we needed to and just you know and it worked itself out so uh, yeah I'm, I'm always impressed when i hear about you know stories of internal sales champions nick you've offered up some incredible value and insights to our audience here today if i could ask you for one golden rule one absolute top tip when it comes to convincing the commitment kraken to everybody watching this what is that one top tip you'd like them to take away with them today uh i would say do do an effective discovery call Knowing your customer is key. If you don't know the customer's pain point or anything, you're gonna, you're gonna, it's gonna get stalled. So do that discovery, get, get those pain points and then find out if there's any other decision makers that need to be on that first discovery call before you book it. And the rest will all just slot into place smoothly, I'm sure. 
and you're good. <laughs> Nothing but closed deals. Absolutely. And that's a guarantee. <laughs> if only it were that simple, eh, Nick? Um, yes. Nick, thank you so much for sharing your B2B superpowers with us today. It's been a, a really fun conversation. Remember to keep an eye on Lead Forensic Socials for news of our upcoming webinars, and we will see you again very, very soon. Nick, once again, thanks so much. Thanks, Joe. Well, there we go. Nick Phillips on how to win over prospects. Even mentioned the superhero there that I wasn't aware of. You know, that's, that's pretty special. <laughs> Remember to subscribe to the B2B Sales Playbook podcast wherever you get your pod, and give us a five-star rating. Where we'll be back next week with another episode of the B2B Sales